This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Yeah, I, I think first of all, we're resilient. You know, I think the best part about us is we've been resilient for all these games. We've played some really great teams, you know, some you know, top echelon teams, you know, obviously in the AFC, Kansas City, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Buffalo on the road, which is a tough environment. And then, um, you know, obviously the Cleveland's been, you know, great all year against a great defense and everything else. I, I think the best thing about us, though, is it's about us. It's about us being together. Our defense has been lights out. You know, one of the best defenses in the world right now. I mean, those guys have been unbelievable. I think Coach, Coach Vance Joseph has done a great job with those guys, getting those guys ready every week. Um, and, and through some tough challenges, I think that any time, you know, about this game, about professional sports, is, there's always adversity. And how you handle the adversity really shows who you, can, who you are and who you can be as a team and as a player. And um, I think, you know, we've handled the adversity. And I think the, the reality is, is that we've got a lot more ball to go. You know, we've got to stay humble and hungry. We've got a lot more to do. And uh, we're just, we feel like we're just getting started. And we just got to stay the course, you know, understanding that we've got to remain neutral and just focus on one game at a time, one week at a time, one practice at a time. That, of course, the voice of Denver Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson, following the game, their fifth consecutive win you over the Cleveland Browns and uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday Sandy look you I get it uh, Russell Wilson as you've called it the Sultan of sugarcoating but you don't need to sugarcoat five straight wins in the NFL very much because no matter how good your team really is you don't really luck into five straight and when you're talking about a win on Buff in Buffalo over the Chiefs even though they might not have been at their best those are legitimate wins to the point where the Denver Broncos and ESPN's power rankings which came out today are 13th in the league. Now, on, on one hand, that sounds almost comical. On the other hand, if, if you're looking at how they are playing as of today, maybe it's not that outlandish because there are a lot of bad football teams in this league, and the Broncos are no longer, I think, c- considered one of those teams. Uh, they aren't, and they're breaking it down to its most fundamental at 6 and 5 they are tied for 7th in the 16 team AFC now things like tiebreakers do come into play and we'll talk a lot about that in the coming weeks guys soon we will but yeah especially this week with two of the three 6 and 5 teams in the American Football Conference facing each other on Sunday in Houston it's particularly important to consider the head to head record and the conference record. And the conference record for the Broncos started very badly. As in 0-4. <laughs> yeah, you can't badly. do any worse. Can't do much worse than 0-4. They've won three straight since. Five straight overall. But three straight in conference is what really matters. Um, win against Minnesota was nice. But it doesn't help them in conference tiebreakers. Because Minnesota plays in the other conference. And as we saw last night, uh, the bloom may be off the rose. And it's too bad because I think Joshua Dobbs' great story. But fundamentally, again, fundamentally, backup quarterback. But the fundamentals of this race certainly don't discourage a view that there is a path to making the playoffs. Now, they're about 30% of the way there. Yeah, they, 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 they're more or less a third of the way there. And they have and what they do over the, the next control they four need games this this week. They, the next four. Games, well, I'll cut that down. And 
the next three games in particular, all road games. And having three straight December road games for any team in the month of December is highly unusual. We'll get to that point as well. Sean Payton's never experienced it in all his years as a head coach. He's never had to go on the road for three straight December games. Now, it's true that he went on the road for three straight games, one in November and two in December, but never three straight December games. And this is the third and the 10th and the 16th, 17th, whenever the Detroit game is. So proving themselves on the road, and the Broncos are perfectly willing to acknowledge this, that the big win at Buffalo notwithstanding, that there's somewhat of an unproven commodity. They've gotten hot at home, and they're confident at home at this point. And I would guess that since they don't play at home until Christmas Eve and it's the Patriots, they will be undefeated <laughs> at home after the 0-3 start. It, it does feel like it, yes. It, it looks like they will be in good shape. It looks like they'll be in good shape with their home record. But the tests come on the road. And you have Houston with every bit as much at stake, an explosive young quarterback, the advantage for Denver, and where they'll have to exploit Houston is on the defensive side of the ball because Houston's defense seems to be slipping. And the Broncos may need to be a little more aggressive with the passing game, but that's something for another day. What I did in assessing Denver's playoff chances overnight, I took out the four division leaders, who I assume will all make the playoffs, even if all four don't win their divisions. Baltimore, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Miami. Nine and three, Baltimore, eight and three, Kansas City, eight and three, Jacksonville, eight and three, Miami. Confident they're in, all right? Discounting the Raiders, the Chargers, Tennessee, the Jets, and New England. Right. Okay. New England would be lucky to win another game. Uh, agreed. In my opinion. They they don't know what they're so doing. So that point. leaves seven teams who are either seven and four, six and five, six and six, or five and six. That covers Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Houston, Denver, Buffalo, Cincinnati. I, I I'm all but counting out Cincinnati. I honestly am. I, I jotted down their schedule just just for kicks. How many of these games are they going to win with Jake Browning at quarterback? At Jacksonville, no. Indy at home, I don't know. Maybe a coin flip game. Minnesota at home, could win that. At Pittsburgh, I don't think so. Uh, At Kansas City, I don't think so. Home against Cleveland, how are they going to score? Well, and you have to, on how top of that, score? assume that, you know, the, the injuries this year, especially for Cincinnati, has kind of taken their heart out. Well, the, yeah, they're, they're, I think they're it has. playing out the string. I think it has. I think they it understand just that. Isn't, it isn't their year. Right. And, 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 and that happens sometimes. You lose key players. Yeah. Or you lose players at the wrong time. It, it's just not their year. So we're, we're really looking at Buffalo, Denver, Houston, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Pittsburgh mm-hmm. for places five through. Seven. And keep in mind this afternoon the news that Jonathan Taylor, who was so yes. good for the Colts this weekend, yep. and of course we know about the talent level, will miss at minimum two to three weeks yep. having what they call minor thumb surgery. Although nothing's for a running minor back, this time of year. Uh, one, nothing's minor this time of year. Two, a running back, a thumb, well, a thumb injury on anybody is not minor. 
Thumb injury on you and me is not minor. It's your thumb. Yeah. And for a running back in the NFL, it's a problem. So no, it's a problem for a running back, a problem for a quarterback, it's a problem for a receiver. Maybe not as much for a defensive lineman or linebacker or even an offensive lineman, but for someone like John you know, Taylor. Hoping two to three weeks. They, they, you talk about minor uh, surgery. That's, 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 that's major. Yeah. That's a major injury. The surgery may be minor. I'm not a doctor. I you know. Four hundred fourteen minor and major since coming back. And, Except uh, it always yeah. seems minor when it's somebody else. It's right. easy to say That's when usually how it works, right? Somebody I, else. I guarantee if I had thumb surgery like he's having, uh, I wouldn't consider it minor. Right. Um, but and, and, here, here's the deal, though, with Indy. Pretty easy schedule. Um, at Tennessee, who knows? Um, Tennessee's not very good. Tennessee's one of those teams that's basically out of it. At Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh at home. That's that's okay. A, that's a tough that's one. That's a tough one. At Atlanta. Well, you know Atlanta's Atlanta's good record. enough to give you a puncher's chance, well, though. That they, I I don't know. They're five I, and six. I, I don't know. You know what disturbs me about Atlanta? Week in and week out, I look at the DVOA rankings, mm-hmm. and for a month, they're one of only two teams in the league that isn't in the top twenty offensively. Defensively or on special, they're not teams. very good. They're bad, but they've okay. had good. And New games. Orleans get well, yes, a little bit, little bit, like the Broncos. When they win, they get help. Derek Carr throws a mindless pick six. Yep, that's the difference in the game. Mm-hmm. The other day, I know it's yeah, nine point Sunday, game, yeah. but you you were going to score maybe seven. You gave them. Seven. But they're, that's a fourteen point. They're in their games because they have won two of the last five. But the the no, I'm not. The, I'm not saying any the three road losses game. been by five points, three points, and two points respectively. It's not like Atlanta's just getting the doors blown off of them. They're, they're no, in their games. No, but you know that that's a winnable game for Indy. And then they finish up at home with the Raiders and Houston. Well, you know, they, so Indy plays Houston. Houston plays Denver. Denver does not play Indy. You have situations in which the good news is someone has to lose. The bad news mm-hmm. is someone has to win. So you can't gain ground. If you're Denver, you can't hope that Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Indy and Houston are all going to go on losing streaks because they play one another. Right. Okay. Cleveland uh, actually is done with Pittsburgh, but Cleveland plays Houston right around Christmas. And, you know, Pittsburgh's got Arizona at home, New England at home the next two weeks. Think they're going to be nine and four? I, just, I, think that injury, ah. I think that injury to to Taylor is enormous because, remember, that they, they barely beat the Buccaneers at home, and Taylor had two touchdowns. All right. They, they, they had to sneak by the Patriots, who were terrible, and Taylor had a touchdown in that, too. I think it's a huge I'm, blow for them. Well, it, it, it is, but... And I, would, I I like their schedule. I mean, I like the road games. All three road games they have. I'm not saying they win all three. But they are winnable. But I agree. Win, all three are I winnable agree. games. Uh, the home games against the uh, Pittsburgh might be tough. Uh, Raiders should be easy. And Houston, that might be an elimination game. Uh, the, the winner makes the playoffs and the loser goes home. And Houston is dangerous, but... Listen, DVOA is just another metric, but it's a pretty sound one. Mm-hmm. And 
Houston right now is number 12 in, in the NFL. And Denver is number 22, mm-hmm. which is interesting because you mentioned the ESPN rankings that had them up to 13. Right. So they're somewhere between 13 and 22, which, which is fair, kind of, quite frankly, uh, it's like, like sort of where the Broncos have been this year. Yeah. Yeah. The there have been times the they've the looked as good as, you know, one of the top 14 teams in the league in theory would make you at least a playoff contender, if mm-hmm. not a playoff team. And they're ranked 13th, 22nd. You're on the fringes, but look who's ahead of you. Tampa Rams. Green Bay, you've already beaten Green Bay. Uh, New Orleans, Seattle. Uh, Cincinnati hangs in, but that's mostly Burrow. Uh, Minnesota, Broncos have already beaten them. Then you get to Indy. Then you get to the Chargers, who are the most underachieving team in, in football. Uh, yes, because they, question. The Chargers have great special teams. This is something new with Los Angeles this year with the Chargers. They have great special teams. When was the last time you could say, the L.A. Chargers are second in the league or top five in the league. But as we pointed teams. out, those aren't difference makers unless you're in a close game. <laughs> well, true, but they're eighth on offense. So, a- again, a team that is dangerous. Now, they're sure. terrible defensively. They're terrible defensively. And some of these numbers, I mean, the Broncos are still ranked last defensively in many metrics yes. because of the 70 points they gave up in one Correct. game. And the stat of the week is that Denver gave up 10 touchdowns in Miami. And, and in the nine. last six games, they've given up nine. Yeah. That's the stat of the week, if not the stat of the year. It, Everybody's I, I talking it about it around the NFL. Right. The NFL people I uh, correspond with, it, it, that's all they're talking about, is how on earth did that defense go from giving up 10 touchdowns in one game to nine touchdowns given up in six Well, we'll weeks. have an opportunity to talk about that with the Denver Gazette's Chris Thomason later in the program as as well. But that's that's a lot of it. And, and yes, it, it, that, that sort of bears itself out what you talked about. When you look at the AFC playoff odds, they have the uh, the Texans right now at 53% over at ESPN, given that the ESPN has analytics, they have it at 53%. Colts at 44, Broncos at 29. Yeah. That sounds right. right. However, right. the beauty of this is it doesn't matter because the Broncos play the Texans. If they beat the Texans, right. now, what, what they've done is they've given themselves with this resilience that Russell Wilson talked about that we started the program hearing from him. They have given themselves a chance going from 1-5 and five to 6-5 and five, to now control their fate. Now they have an opportunity to control their fate. And that's all you can ask for. So they've gotten that done. And we talked about it yesterday. A lot of that credit. In fact, I think y- you put it First, because players come first. Yeah, players come first. On before Russell coaches. Wilson. Before coaches. For the reason of this turnaround. Right. Earlier on ESPN, Ryan Clark and Rex Ryan talked about the Broncos' playoff chances, but I thought specifically, talked a little bit about what we did when you're talking about the evolution of an aging Russell Wilson. You know what happened with the marriage between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson said, tell me what you need, coach. What you need from me is to protect the football. What you need from me is to not take unnecessary sacks. And when I get an opportunity to use my legs, to use my talent, the things that I've been good at my entire career, you want me to do that without putting the team in harm's way. And that's what Russell Wilson did. Not on first and second down. Not on first and second down. On third down. Not in the beginning of the first quarter, but at the end of the half. Not in the beginning of 
of the third, but at the end of the game, when you need me to be above the X's and O's. And that's what Russell Wilson has done. You're not going to look at a Russell Wilson stat line this year and say that's vintage Russ. Russ that, that's Russ that cooked in Seattle. But what you are going to see is that Russ is doing what is expected of him and required of him to win the games that his team allows him to be in. And that's the point we all wondered, could Russell Wilson get to? No doubt. I feel like he's checked his ego, he's shown his humility, and he's now reinvented himself that has you saying, if you're Sean Payton or the Waltons, this is our quarterback of the next two to three years. 20 passing touchdowns, just four interceptions. Right now, right. Russell Wilson has the best TD interception ratio in the entire NFL. Yeah. Rex, their defense now, four straight games with three takeaways. Boy, they got joked when they got put a 70-burger on them yeah, by Miami. Absolutely ridiculous. All of a sudden now, they're the defense that keeps taking the football away. Can they make the playoffs? Absolutely. Yeah. This team is going to make the playoffs. And uh, about this defense, all right, in particular, they have five-game win streak. All right, they've turned the ball over three times on offense. They have 16 takeaways in the last five games. 16 plus 13. Yeah. That's how you win games. Yep. And look, when do they show up? They play good red zone defense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Throughout the field, they're terrible. Still, 32nd in the league um, in, in, in yards per, you know, uh, per game. But they're getting takeaways and they're playing red zone defense. Yeah. And that's a compliment. It, it absolutely <laughs> is. And I love the comments on Wilson because uh, you get sort of Wilson's constant, sunny demeanor, at least in public, all the time. And, and it becomes at times wondering, you know, how much of this is artifice. And some of it is. But the proof is in the pudding here, and I think Clark did a great job of describing it. Russell Wilson has clearly checked his ego at the door and decided, you know what? At this stage in my career, I'm about getting wins, and I'll win ugly if winning ugly works. And I think for Sean Payton, that's going to be okay, at least for now. And we'll find out because all the things that you broke down, Sandy, about the remainder of this schedule, they will need more passing. But the more the Broncos lean into the run game and prove they can be successful, they just put up 169 on the ground against the best rushing defense and best defense in the league, well, the more people are going to stack the box and the more it plays into play action, which is actually, over the course of his career, Russell Wilson's best play. So there is an opportunity to build on this. But Wilson deserves a ton of credit for basically sublimating the ego and going and just getting W's. And you hit on it earlier in the week. You had on yesterday. When you go win, people stop talking about the stats. Right. And that's exactly what's happening right now with Wilson. Nobody nobody knows how many yards he's thrown for. Nobody cares. They do know he's got 20 touchdowns to four picks, and the Broncos have won five games. Well, as the 80s went on, it was always frustrating to me that John Elway's teams won more than Dan Marino's teams. And, you know, Dan Marino's teams had certainly stars around him on offense. Maybe not so much on defense, but in any case, people kept talking about, well, Marino has the stats. And I said, well, wait a minute. The Broncos, yes, they got killed, but Miami got killed in the one Super Bowl they went to with Marino. They went to one, by the way. Broncos went to three out of four and got killed. Right. All right. But they, went to but they did go to three out of four versus one. Three AFC and championships to one. Yep. Listen, uh, Marino and Elway, until 1998, had faced each other exactly one time. And that was a regular season game in 1985. So it, it was frustrating. The winning quarterback, well, the wins don't matter. It's the stats. And then with other guys, it's the stats don't matter. It's the wins. 
and and it seemed that Elway, I think during the second half, was unquestionably a greater quarterback than Marino. Second half of his career. Second mm-hmm. half, you know, both played about. Marino played one year longer than Elway did. 17 years to 16. But, you know, even with some of the stats, he's first in percentage of touchdown passes thrown, Russell Wilson. Fourth in fewest interceptions of interception rate, okay? He is fifth in passer rating. And he's up over 50 on QBR, which... At 54-6, is not great, but it's middle of the pack. As good as he's needed to be, he's been. And you mentioned his quarterback rating was almost as high as his passer rating yeah. this past Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite a turnaround, and the Broncos will have the opportunity to keep things in their control. That's the advantage. They've earned this right. They play the Texans, and they get to decide how their playoff chase continues. Your program as well. Want to get your thoughts Call and text line is 303-831-1340. We'll turn our attention to Boulder, where Sandy has some concerns as well as uh, and a little bit of backup from uh, a man who's seen a few things in Paul Feinbaum. We'll hear from him and what's going on in Boulder, including, by the way, one of the coaches, not surprisingly, apparently leaving for another head coaching gig. We'll tell you next on My Life Sports. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Up in Boulder, the University of Colorado finishes their year with four wins, a significant improvement from one win. And, of course, the people in Vegas had the over-under three and a half, so they beat that by a smidge. Uh, They lost in double digits only two times this year. That was a far cry from the multiple losses of 20-plus the year before. By any measurement, things got a lot better up in Boulder. But by the end of the year, there were a couple reactions that seemed to be a little bit knee-jerk, and one was Sean Lewis uh, being replaced as the play caller by Pat Shermer, of all people. And the buffs did not look demonstrably better at the end. They were, they were, they were losing close for the most part, just like they were before. Uh, the news now is that, that Sean Lewis, according to Brett McMurphy, will be taking the head coaching job at San Diego state, which would have happened in any case. I think so. I think I, we need to remind people. Yeah. That yeah. It, it, you know, his team was averaging while he was calling the plays over 30 uh, points. Right. And so if they continued with Sean Lewis's offensive coordinator, I, he was San Diego probably, State doesn't offer him the job. Of course they do. Right. Okay, of course, and, of course, he leaves. 
This this was uh, a in, in folks at San Diego State retrospect knew a really all good along move for yeah. weeks that they wanted to but hire wanted. an offensive guy because they're opening up a what three hundred ten million dollar facility mm-hmm. and they want to get people into the facility and you get people into a facility to watch your games when you play, play offense. offense. San Diego State's had good defensive teams for a long time. Rarely have they had good. Good offense. for Lewis because look, this was always the plan. Uh, Lewis quit his head coaching job at Kent State to take the job at Colorado because he thought it would put him on the faster track to right. somewhere, which it did. And and here he a goes and lands that job. that job. We basically and, and, you know one. That's it. The Mac is yeah. Division One. I. I get it, but Mountain West is considered maybe a, a superior conference. Well, slightly especially superior to now the with the new scheduling that will include Oregon State and right. and Washington State. The right. the Mountain West yeah. becomes, I think, the the best of the next five. Yes. Uh, and I don't even think there's a dispute about that. Right. It clearly it becomes right. that, and so uh, a good a good fit for Lewis, who also gets to make sure that you know if he, if he was doing some of the recruiting in this area, could still continue to do it because any of the headway that he got with CU is also going to be more or less applicable in that Mountain West conference. So uh, Lewis is going to move on. There have been some some challenges. Uh, some of the the recruits, although they are 2025 recruits, decommitting. We can talk about that a little bit as well, but. Uh, Paul Feinbaum, who has seen plenty of college football over the decades and seen the uh, the ebbs and flows of it, had some comments that I thought were really um, pointed, let's say. They were pointed about the University of Colorado and Deion Sanders. Wanted to let you hear, fro- hear a little bit from Feinbaum, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the worst thing was also the best thing for Dion. And I'm, I'm not blaming you two, but I am blaming you two, okay? Because I sat here 10 weeks ago, and you guys uh, saw what was happening. Uh, I mean, I'm watching on TV. You're on the sidelines. You brought it here. And, and we all started talking about, are they a playoff team? No, they're not a playoff team. Are they a bowl team? Maybe. Uh, but, but he had so much to overcome. And I think because of his magnetism and charisma and what he brought to that program, they were able to beat TCU. They were able to turn games that they probably shouldn't have done. But then the reality struck. I, I, I said it a year ago, Stephen, I didn't want him to go to Colorado. I thought he needed a better place. I think he's okay there, but, but the hill is too tall. And, you know, A&M, I don't think, is a possibility, but there's a job there for him. I I think he needs to spend another year from a a credibility standpoint, try to build it, and and then make a value judgment. I talk to coaches all the time at at good schools who end up losing to a school like Georgia and go, I I don't know what else I can do. I mean, they've got five stars in the starting lineup, and they've got five stars uh, at at second uh, second team. Dion, you can't do that in one year in college football. You can't play elite teams. Uh, and, and, and succeed. So I think he's in a conundrum. Uh, I, I think he, it would be a bad look if he just bailed, but I think if he gives it two years, and by the way, his best players couldn't leave with him anyway after one year because they've already made the move, then I think the, the, the world is his oyster. I, I think he could go anywhere. Now, uh, this was said before A&M named its new coach. And Correct. Dion was never going there anyway. No. And Feinbaum said as much. Uh, that was a statement made several days ago before the A&M job was open. Um, I I don't agree with him necessarily in uh, postulating that CU is not a particularly good place for him. I think it was just about I, I the think, only I place for him to yeah, show what he ended up showing I because agree. four and eight, even at a school like, oh, let's say Vanderbilt, it, okay. Is that raising your profile anymore, really? profile all that Actually, much. And, and the Hill, quote-unquote, yeah. 
but a, like a Vanderbilt or something would be much larger. Of course, or at Cincinnati, SEC. the only other university that even considered Deion Sanders seriously, now all of a sudden will be in the same conference as, as the Buffaloes. Right. But uh, right. that hill would be larger as well. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I disagree I, with that. I disagree with And that. I disagree with one other part of it, and then I'll get out of the way. This idea that... Uh, oh, he could leave after two years and then the world is oyster. No, no. If he no, leaves after no, no. two years and this isn't a top 25 program, right. everyone's right. going to say he it was a joke. It wasn't real. It was all a, a facade and a charade. And I think it would decimate his coaching career. Well, I think this season more or less locked him into Colorado for a longer haul. So he's talking to Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp. Right. Who are desperate to get him to Texas because that's their brand. Got it. Right. Well, yes. And they've also been quite complimentary of Dion, right. <laughs> particularly earlier on in the season when they were both invited out to Boulder. Right. Um, Funny how that so works. So Feinbaum is kind of poking at them a little bit. Remember at the beginning yeah, he, he said, said not blaming you, you guys, but I'm, I'm blaming you guys. I'm blaming you guys. You <laughs> yeah. guys got carried away. And he's right about that. They did get carried mm-hmm. away. But if you saw the video, which I did, you know, you could only hear the audio there, obviously. Right. But if you saw the video, Sharp was smiling and nodding. And not a sarcastic smile or anything like that. He was he was not in, they in, got in caught agreement. Up in the they, hype. they got caught up in it, and they both did. Mm-hmm. They both did. A lot of people did, and and both more or less through Feinbaum's commentary were acknowledging. Well, yeah, they, they were shrugging and smiling. Oh, well, yeah, you, you're right. Uh, Feinbaum got off the Dion train after Stanford, and that that to him exposed. Uh, CU worst in loss in college's maybe, football program. Maybe the worst loss. Dion in particular. For this Never blown a bigger lead. Dion's mistake, fundamentally, again, fundamentally, I guarantee I won't use that word again today. I'll find another word. Um, he got off track by doing a victory lap after three and up. Correct. Agreed. And I, Agreed everything's proven. Entirely. We're, yep. we're, we're on our way. And even after USC. I was there in the room when he said it. He said, anybody who doesn't see where this program is going, and the context was right to the top of the rankings, or certainly rankings that would put them in contention next year Mm -hmm. for the college football playoff. Okay? That was what he said. And he said, anybody who doesn't see that's the direction we're heading is basically blind. Right. willfully ignorant. Okay? Yeah, he did. And that's what he said. So, yes, everything you said earlier is true, but when they blew the game to Stanford, they began to get scrutiny more than just attention and acclaim and applause. They began to be scrutinized. There's no there there. Right. That they have two or three outstanding individual players. Mm-hmm. Uh, one plays defense as well as offense. That's Travis Hunter. But you know, most of the other guys are offensive players. And, yes, I, th- I think they had some good players on defense, of whom Shiloh Sanders was one. Mm-hmm. But other than Travis Hunter, I-, I don't know that anybody plays at the level of an All-American. On the defensive side of the uh, ball yet. presently at the University of Correct, Florida. not yet. So you you throw that in with, again, since that statement was made by Feinbaum, the news about a couple of quarterbacks, one from the 24 class, 
three-star quarterback named Danny O'Neill uh, decommitting. And then Antoine Hill from the 25 class is the number 46-ranked prospect in that class, the ESPN Junior 300 at quarterback, number 46 in, in the rankings. That's a significant decommit. Now, it, again, it doesn't mean that yeah, he can't Yeah, I was like, let's make sure we understand mind. what a decommit okay, means. But Deion because... Sanders himself went crazy when he was presented with news last week about some other guys who had decommitted, and he sure seemed to be bothered by it, even though it's technically still possible that all those guys could come back. Right. He basically dismissed him. Basically said, we didn't want them anyway, and they aren't loyal. And once a, once a guy commits then the NCAA should prohibit that player, that student athlete, whatever, from visiting any other school, which is, of course, preposterous. Uh, Dion right. is taking people from other schools all the time. Yeah. And plans on doing it again and, literally and, next and week. on the recruiting trail, literally he, wouldn't, he wouldn't mind at all if somebody decommitted from Florida State and decided to go to CU. Right. Uh, one of the challenges I think that, that Deion Sanders is going to have to get and it, it's happened. I think I've seen it happen. It's happening slower than expected. This is always the challenge, right? When you have someone who has been extraordinarily successful, and we've seen it. Uh, we talked about John Elway and Dan Marino earlier in the program, right? Uh, sometimes when people have been successful their whole life, because quite frankly, they, they happen to be uh, gifted, but also have the work ethic. I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking Elway Marino or Deion Sanders' work ethic. Unquestionably, all three of them, elite. But there's this assumption that because I've always been good at what I do, I'm always going to be good at what I do. And I think Deion Sanders has had sort of that cold bucket of water dumped on him there. And over the course of the year, you saw some of that bombast go down. You saw him a little bit. Now, not as fast as I think a lot of people would like, and I'll include myself in that. But I think you saw some of the, the shooting from the hip drop off, the calling some players out, drop off. Yeah, the that was the about big effort, made, dropping off out the offensive line. And, and I think you've seen that go down because he is learning the lesson. Like, hey, you know what? This wasn't as easy as you thought. And that's where it takes me back to my spot where I disagree with Feinbaum and you do too. Colorado's the perfect place for him. Because if you're with an SEC school right now, the expectation is now. We better be 25 next year. We're SEC. Colorado doesn't have that expectation. Now, maybe Dion does, and that's great. Yeah. But I assure you, the university does not. They're delighted with the fact they went from one wins to four. They're delighted with the fact that despite this fact that this team was a constant standard in the top 25, if not top 10 for a decade, in which they even won a national title, they'd never sold out every home game at Folsom Field until this year. Yes. And that will continue next year. They are I would imagine. perfectly happy with the way things are progressing up there. The person who doesn't have the patience at the moment is the head coach. Exactly. And I think exactly. he is learning some hard lessons of the fact that, you know what? It just doesn't come as easy as it used to anymore, and you're going to have to adjust. The thing that makes me positive about it is, referred to before, Deion Sanders' work ethic has been outstanding. He's, I think, understanding now... It's not going to come easy. What do I have to do and get into the work? And the fact that we've seen his demeanor, seen the way he's addressed things in press conferences, for the most part, yes, he still shoots from the hip at times, and it can get him in trouble. But I think we're seeing demonstrable change, and that tells me that's the reason for hope. If you if Deion Sanders was the same way he was at the end of the year as he was the beginning of the year, then you're thinking, uh-oh, he's just this guy. 
He's just bowling a China shop, and when it doesn't work out, he's going to stay bowling a China shop. Well, he didn't stay that way. And he's not all of a sudden going to turn into Lou Holtz, where every team in the world is the best team you've ever seen, and they're the best football program that's ever been assembled, and poor us, Notre Dame has no chance. He's never going to turn into that guy. But he can find an equilibrium, and the fact that even in the first year, you started to see the progress to that, I think is something that should be emboldening for the university. He is losing some coaches. Uh, Tim Brewster was demoted at the same time Sean Lewis was effectively demoted. And basically, Tim Brewster was thrown off the coaching staff and basically changed places with Pat Shermer. There's a limit in the the amount of people you can have on the field. And when Shermer was moved from being an analyst to the de facto offensive coordinator. And, yeah, there's going to lose well, some coaches, some turnovers. Brewster I, resigned, though. You Brett Brewster resigned. continue Sunday. with Pat Shermer as your offensive coordinator. No, I, I agree with that. Although but, I have a bad feeling that you, you're going to lose. Might. You're going to lose Sean Lewis. I already lost him. And you would have lost him anyway. Murphy. Okay. Yeah. And you, right, and no, you were going to lose him okay. anyway. But you weren't necessarily going to lose your offensive line coach, and maybe he didn't do that great a job. But he's gone. He'll go with Lewis. Brewster has resigned. Uh, I don't know where he's headed, but he announced Sunday he was resigning. Um, knew him a little bit when he was here as the tight ends yeah. coach of the Broncos in 05 and 06 for Mike Shanahan. Uh, he was the assistant head coach at Florida in 20 and 21 when Dan Mullen was at the University of Florida. He was at Jackson State with Dion in 22 and here with Dion in 23, of course, and the former head coach at the University of Minnesota for four years following a stint in Denver, 2007 through 2010. Um, I don't know Tim Brewster well enough to say that this is a big loss, but Sean Lewis leaving, not surprising. Uh, The possibility of three offensive coaches leaving uh, could be a bit of an issue, not just one, but, but three, and I agree with you on... The Shermer point. Um, they have, as a matter of fact, eight commitments for 2024. Mm-hmm. And there was a little exchange on social media today between the former Bronco quarterback, Danny Cannell, and Brian Howell. I forgot he was on the, the Broncos. On a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know Danny Cannell very well. I spoke to him a few times when he's here as the Bronco quarterback, but don't know him well. Uh, Brian Howell, I know very well. Uh, Denny Canal comes out with this. CU didn't beat one team with a winning record. Fact. Lost last six games. Fact. Mm-hmm. Sure. Players are hitting the portal. Uh, remains to be seen. Uh, now, players are decommitting. Yeah. That's not the same thing as hitting no, the portal, of course. No, it is not. Coaches leaving. Uh, yeah. Um, multiple coaches are leaving. Uh, recruits decommitting. Uh, that's true. They have the 64th ranked recruiting class by UNLV, BYU, USF, who are all ahead of them. But sure, everything is great because people watched in at RG. Three's world. A little bit of taking a shot at Robert Griffin III, of course. Right. Right. Who's talking about the the value of uh, putting Colorado back in the national consciousness, which I think is an important part of this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And here's Brian Howell's response. It'll change because the portal impacts everyone. But at the time of Canal making this comment, the list of quote-unquote players hitting the portal is one, a tight end who played 14 snaps. 
and the list of coaches leaving is one. Well, it's really three, but when it'll, he said be, this, it was one. Yeah. When he said this, it was one. It'll be more, right. And CU's average recruit rating of 89.94 leads the future Big 12. I have no idea what what 89.94 uh, signifies, but, uh, you know, they're moving. I think it's fair to say they're moving into a weaker conference next year than the one they come out of uh, here in 2023. Danny Cannell's response, wow, that's quite the spin. And the decommits, no big deal, I guess. So I guess you still believe, careful drinking that Kool-Aid, to which Howell says, if countering your false narrative with fact is spin, well, okay, decommits would be a bigger deal if it was 2024s, not too worried about 2025s. At this point, two-thirds of the country doesn't have any. I agree with that completely. For right now, I I get that. Um, But they have lost 2024 people and the list of commits is down to eight it was in double figures not too long ago i'm talking less than two weeks ago Mm -hmm. and with the way there was a consequence to their finishing the season with six straight losses after starting three and oh and our consequence people saw that stanford game a lot of people watch that stanford game the ratings said a lot of people watch that stanford game and they saw a team blow a 29 point lead in the third quarter they did, and uh, it was bad. And there, there's work to do, but it will be interesting to see how it shakes out. Obviously, things are just getting going. And by the way, the transfer portal opens right back up by the end of next week, so it's going to be right back at it for the Buffaloes. The Denver Nuggets last night decide, uh, well, you know, Jamal Murray's hurt, uh, Aaron Gordon's hurt. There's no reason to play Nikola Jokic. And they're on the road, second game of the back-to-back against the Clippers. Schedule loss, what uh, Greg Popovich used to call that. Well. Couple ex Clippers said, "Not so much." We'll talk about the Nuggets next on My Life Sports. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Body get up, it's time to slam now. We got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance, do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We met this morning with our group. You know, one of the first things I told them was, like, I don't care who's playing for us or, or who's not playing for us. Um, we prepare to win and we expect to win. And, and that's, like, my nine years, we've had a, a couple of games where, you know, whether it's a game in Utah or tonight where undermanned, not looking good, and you find a way. We did it last year here in this building without Nicole Jokic. Same thing. Um, so um, I, I think it's important for the new players to understand just because Nicola, Aaron, Jamal are out, the expectation's the same. I'm still going to coach you the same way. And uh, if we don't win the game, we're, we're going to be disappointed. You know what I hear in that sound from Michael Malone, the Denver Nuggets head coach, after their win last night? Again, the voice of a guy who's won a title and has that confidence. And the, the Nuggets surprised the Clippers last night. No Jokic, no Murray, no Gordon. They thumped the Clippers. They were ahead for the 
vast majority of the game. Uh, lead was consistent for a good chunk of it. 113 to 104 is, is well, the, the win. And they, they had to come. Let's remember. It was 36 to 16 in their favor in the fourth quarter. Yes, yes. They were way down going to the they, fourth. They, they, they did kind of fall apart. Down. And then they, 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 they bounced back. How about this? Your former Lob City Clippers, Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan, turning back the clock. Yeah. Reggie with 35 points, 13 assists, five boards. DeAndre with 21 points. He did points. a Steve Nash impersonation, yeah, but with a little more scoring. rebounds and five assists. <laughs> Keep that in mind from, your, from those two guys. Let me do the quick math here. I only have so many fingers and toes. 56 points, right? 18 boards and 18 assists well, to go with four steals. Listen, uh, Zubats. And had, only four turnovers. Zubats had good numbers last night over 32 minutes. Jordan played 34 minutes, and Jordan was the better of the two. Yes. And Zubats did not have a bad game 23 points, 14 On rebounds. Nine for 15 shooting. Assist, a block, only one turnover. Played 32 minutes, minus six. But look at Jordan. All the numbers you mentioned, plus 17 in 34 minutes. Reggie Jackson was plus 25. And Jackson was plus 25 in 40 minutes. And, yes, uh, that's as good a game. You're missing. I imagine that Reggie Jackson has ever played, ever played his NBA career. That's as good a game. For 40 minutes, 35 points, 13 assists, five rebounds, two steals, two turnovers. for 19 from the field. Plus 25, hardly missed a shot. You're right. Um, I thought those two were the key guys. Uh, I thought Holiday was a key guy in a, in some subtle ways because he was again utilized in place of Gordon, not a guy who'd been a part of the bench rotation. So it doesn't mess up the bench any more than it's already uh, a little discombobulated because Jackson is starting in Murray's absence. So they, they've got three starters out. Uh, Porter has a bad shooting game. So does Contavious Caldwell. Pope. And uh, KCP doesn't shoot well. Uh, Christian Brown plays his worst game of the year. Uh, yeah, uh, woof. It, it, that was bad. And only played 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and just wasn't effective. He was the only bench player who was effective on the recent road trip, so yeah. he was due a stinker. Najee was great with seven offensive rebounds. Have you ever, have you ever in, seen that? 12 minutes. Seven offensive rebounds, no defensive. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen that much of a disparity. No defensive rebounds and they, seven they, offensive they, boards? They, they, That's just weird. They beat the Clippers on the boards. Without Jokic, without Gordon, and, and, and just without Holiday. Murray, who rebounds uh, reasonably well for for a guard. Uh, Watson was terrific. Uh, I, I thought Strother was even better than Watson. Uh, Najee uh, was not in a plus-minus sense good, but, you know, seven offensive rebounds, three blocks. 12 minutes, three blocks, only one turnover, eight points. I, I, I thought he was fine. Look at the Clippers. George, 2 for 13 from the field. Leonard, 10 for 26. Harden, 3 for 7. And Powell, 2 for 8. And Westbrook the only had 14 and 11 with 3 assists, but I thought he wasn't uh, I thought he wasn't effective down the stretch. And they hold him to 41% shooting, and they win the game with, with defense and with extraordinary offensive performances from Jackson and Jordan. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a terrific win. It wouldn't have been disastrous to lose by any means. But uh, Malone mentioned something similar happening last year in that building. Uh, Crypto.com Arena is the Nuggets' home away from home. Whether it's the Lakers uh, it really or the is. Clippers they're playing, they dominate and, and in uh, that building. 
It wasn't a great game for Michael Porter Jr., as you mentioned, three for 13 from the field, two for seven from the But three. he hit a big three at the end. But uh, he did hit a three at the end, 10 boards, uh, three assists, only one turnover. Yeah. And uh, again, never going to be a great defender, but using the length, at doing what you sort of hope for Porter Jr. again as the maturation of his game continues, at least using all of that 6'10 frame to disrupt. And uh, when you look at the shooting numbers for Georgia and Leonard and they switch a lot, uh, I think there was some impact there, too. Much like you saw in the game he played against Luka Doncic and the Mavericks a couple of weeks back. Uh, Porter Jr. seems to understand, uh, I can't shut these guys down, but I can I can be long, and I can stay in front of them, and I can disrupt uh, what they want to do. 12 for 39 for the uh, field. And that's, the that's an impactful way, again, with MPJ learning that when the shot doesn't fall, there are other ways to impact this game. And a, a, just a terrific well win coached for the by Nuggets. Malone, by the and way, and extremely it, well coached. goes without saying, but extremely well coached because he he didn't use the bench a lot. Well, and his w- best Watson, bench player Watson had a bad night, the game, and, and his he best bench pull- player had a bad night. Yep, uh, Strother played 19 minutes, Najee 12, Brown 12. That was it uh, in terms of significant minutes off off the bench. Uh, and you know the starters went from Holiday down to Porter, Jordan, Jackson, and KCP. 34, 28, 34, 40, and 38 minutes. So he he rode the starters, but he had them fresh at the end. Uh, Malone's game coaching, uh, bench coaching, uh, it has improved by bounce. leaps and it bounds really in the last couple of years. It has. Uh, this is a fun team to watch. Now, tomorrow they get the Rockets, who, by the way, uh, really do. In the early going, play the Nuggets as tough as anybody. They'll get them tomorrow. Ah, but they get them at home where they the Rockets do. have not yet won a game. Yes, it'll be interesting to see where that shakes out. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. But we'll head back to the Denver Broncos and their defense. By the way, the Broncos lead the NFL in takeaways. That's right. The Broncos lead the NFL in takeaways. That's for real. We're going to talk more about how that's changed the way the Broncos have played, their perception, and all the rest going into a pivotal game. Biggest game in years for the Broncos. We'll talk about it with the Denver Zets, Chris Thomas, and next on My Life Sports.